Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for our name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. May I speak in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, a very warm welcome indeed to this first in our series on Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And Romans is a really important letter. It's important because Rome was an important city. It was the center of the Roman Empire, and as such, it was an international crossroads for travelers, students, and traders get the gospel into and flourishing in Rome, and you couldn't but help it being propagated through the rest of the world. And of course, this should speak to us here in Oxford, one of the world's leading university cities, with a large and growing population of international students. Spread the gospel here in Oxford amongst international students, and you cannot but help it being taken to the far corners of the world. And secondly, it's important because it sets out the good news of the gospel. In a sense, the letter is summarized in the passage that Michael uh, Green is going to preach to us next, uh, next Sunday, and particularly in verse, 5, verse 16, where Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So that in a world of bad news of recession, of terror plots, and climate change, we have the greatest possible news to share. And thirdly, it's important because it's an important letter. The early church certainly thought so, and that's why it comes where it does in the canon of Scripture, in pole position amongst the epistles. And of course, it was and is so important because it lays down all the fundamental doctrines of our faith. Now, it's going to be hard going at times over the coming weeks. It's not easy. And so can I encourage you that if you miss a Sunday evening, just to go onto the website, click on the audio page, and listen to the talk that you've missed. You can also subscribe to the uh, sermons via podcast. And in case you weren't aware, it's in the notice sheet, but for those fellowship groups following the series, there are notes on the website, and also there's a seminar next Sunday evening after the service being led by Stan Rosenberg and Justin Hardin, and that's not just for fellowship group leaders, that's for anybody uh, who's, who's interested in this book and perhaps who's following it in a fellowship group. Now, many of you in the congregation are new, and uh, again, another warm welcome to you. And I wonder what impressions you've picked up about this church. I wonder what your welcome was like. 
Perhaps you like this building very much. Perhaps you've been admiring our beautifully new sanded floor. Perhaps you're thinking what a lot of people there are here, or perhaps why there were so few people here at 6 p.m. <laughs> Now, these are all perfectly reasonable observations. But I imagine that if you're new, you're really wondering what the church is actually all about. What do we stand for? What marks this church out amongst others? What's our number one priority here? Well, if you've been asking yourself those questions, then I think the first thing you need to do is to listen to Andrew's sermon from last Sunday, where he outlines the church's、uh, vision and its values. Or you could look at the website. You would see what our mission statement is and our strap line. <laughs> and you could read about our statement of beliefs. But seriously, what drives this church? What is it that should affect every single decision that we take here? What should the one thing be that unites us all? In a single word, it's the gospel. And this letter explains exactly what the gospel message means. So let's start the series by looking at these few. Verses of greeting, which incidentally are the longest greeting amongst、uh, all of Paul's letters. So in verse one, he starts by saying, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, the Greek word doulos actually means slave, and the Old Testament、uh, prophets referred to themselves in the same way, beginning with Moses and Joshua. So Paul immediately identifies himself、uh, and places himself. In that succession of God's anointed. Now, let's not underestimate the impact that that description would have had amongst the Gentiles in Rome, which, of course, was a society where slaves were just dirt; they were an underclass. Unless we gloss over it, I think we need to ask ourselves this question today: Are we prepared? To accept that title too. Now I know it's probably not the best introduction、uh, to a work colleague with whom you are gently trying to、uh, encourage to come along to an alpha course.、Uh, perhaps you're standing by the coffee machine or the, the water fountain at work to say hi.、Uh, I'm actually a, a slave of Jesus. I think you're completely barking mad. But we must adopt that attitude. As we seek to serve Jesus in our lives, making the coffee after a service, being part of the welcome team, mentoring folk up on the Cutslow Estate, running a fellowship group, visiting the sick, praying for the church, providing welcome meals for international students, getting involved with Vertigo, helping in one of the children's groups—all these—and they're just a few of the ways you could be involved here. All these are. If you want a form of slavery to Christ, by doing those things, we are servants of the Lord. Paul then says again in verse one,、uh, Paul, a servant、uh, of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, called to be an apostle. Now, apostle, an apostle is literally one who is sent, a sort of messenger, and the word used here. Is most often used in the New Testament in a, in a very solemn sense, as one who is sent on a mission by God rather than a mission to the corner shop to get a loaf of bread.
So Paul uses it here in that context, making clear that he was called by Christ, obviously in reference to his divine encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And this divine calling establishes his right to be an apostle with the inherent authority of one called personally by Jesus. So he was a servant of Jesus. He was called as a messenger, and we're still in verse 1, and set apart for the gospel of God. Set apart. Now, having been a Pharisee, Paul knew only too well what being set apart was like. Pharisees were set themselves apart. I mean, to the extent that if, uh, if somebody who wasn't a Pharisee touched their cloak, that was a major issue for them. They were unclean. They, they, had to be, they had to keep their distance. The Pharisees would have shuddered at the thought of the offer of salvation being offered to these Gentiles, who basically to them were really no more than fuel for the fires of hell. And of course, this isn't a Pharisaic setting apart for privilege, self-pride, self-glory, but for service and humility and love of all people. And what's interesting is if you skip verse 2 and and take uh, 1 and 3 together, we understand that he was called and set apart to be a messenger for the gospel of God regarding his Son. So here we have, in a nutshell, what God's good news is all about. It's God's good news about Jesus. Luther writes on this verse, Here the door is thrown open wide for the understanding of Holy Scripture. That is, that everything must be understood in relation to Christ. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 2 that the good news hasn't come as a surprise, but has been promised through his prophets. How much harder it would be to understand and believe the good news if Jesus had just landed on earth, unannounced and unexpected. But Paul reminds us that Jesus was foretold. He was promised by God through his prophets. It's like those trailers you see on television before the news. And now after the break, uh, we're going to hear from so-and-so in Belgrade to tell us about X and so-and-so in Palestine to tell us about Y. And it, it sort of whets your appetite. So as you go, go to the kitchen to make your cup of tea, you, know, you want to get back. You want to hear what the real news is all about. Jesus wasn't unplanned. He was the fulfillment of God's rescue plan for mankind. And then going on to verses 3 and 4, we see that he's not just promised, but he's fully human and fully divine. God in man incarnate. Having given us his own credentials, Paul gives us the credentials of the gospel. The good news of God about his son is about a Jesus who is well and truly a man, just as it was prophesied, a human and a descendant of David. As St. Irenaeus said of Jesus, he became what we are to make us what he is. 
Paul preached not of some legendary figure in an imaginary story, not a demigod, half man, half God. He preached about one who really was, well and truly, one of those he came to save. And then Paul goes on to say, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Paul tells us that this gospel is a gospel of resurrection. If Jesus had lived a wonderful life and died a heroic death, and if that had been the end of him, he might have been numbered with the great and the heroic. But he simply would have been one amongst many. But his uniqueness is guaranteed forever by the fact of the resurrection. The others are dead and gone. There may be graves, there may be books, there may be memoirs and biographies. But Jesus lives on, still mighty with power. This idea of Jesus living on is perhaps difficult to get one's head round. And somebody who is struggling with this is Jemima, my three-year-old. She is full of questions about Jesus and is grappling with him being killed, being buried, being alive, being in heaven, and being in our hearts. It isn't a surprise that she's uh, having a problem with Trinitarian theology, age three. And we love the song, The Greatest Day in History. And my girls know the words off by heart. They know that it's the greatest day in history. It was the day of the empty grave when death was defeated and the resurrection took place. And don't worry, I also tell her that there can be no Easter day without the Good Friday. But I'm just trying to keep things simple for her at the moment. But what really confuses her at the moment is she thinks Jesus is dead because he's hanging on the cross outside St. Margaret's church where, where she walks past twice a day. But Dad, how can he be in our hearts? He, he's at the church. By his resurrection from the dead was declared with power to be the Son of God. There is none other who has done this. There is no other who is worthy of our trust and faith. All the rest are imposters. They're false idols. Jesus, fully human, is proclaimed by that empty tomb, the Son of God. And all of this in just four verses. Well, if you're still with me, let's ask ourselves what difference this should make in our lives today. Well, the good news is that the good news is not about religion. It isn't about churches. It isn't about a diet or a regime. The good news is about a person. It's about Jesus. For without Jesus, the only news from heaven is judgment. And that is a really awful thing to consider. And I know it'll send a shiver down many people's spines. It's not a pleasant concept. But judgment is how a perfect God deals with the sort of things we read about every single day in our newspapers. Those ghastly, destructive, evil activities. 
But the good news is that Jesus came, Jesus saves, and Jesus is king. Well, perhaps you're here exploring the Christian faith or thinking you're a Christian, but perhaps not fully understanding it. Perhaps you're just brought along or dragged along by a friend. Well, perhaps this is the challenge for you tonight. Can you leave here, now you've heard what you've heard, knowing that Jesus came, he was promised by God, he's part, he is God's rescue plan, fully human, yet fully divine, proved divine by that empty tomb. Can you leave here undecided? You have to make a decision. It can go either way. It can be, yeah, this sounds... This sounds fairly interesting. I'll give it a a couple more weeks to to test this out. You could think that. Or you could think this is a complete load of rubbish. I'm out of here. That's fine. But what you can't do is sit on the fence. Well, if that's you, we're running an alpha course on the 30th of September starting uh, on Wednesday the 30th with a launch party. We're going to hear from somebody later on who's been through Alpha. And I'd encourage you to come. uh, Conrad's here. He'll be handing out invitations for those who are interested at the end. Come and join that course to explore Christianity. But what if you have already made that commitment? What if you think you've got it all joined up signed up, you've got all your ducks in the row, I'm just trying to think of the other cliches to use here, you're all sorted. Well, these few verses throw open wide how we should understand and act on Scripture. Paul's relationship with Jesus, his servanthood, his calling as an apostle, and his being set apart, not for pride or self-glory, but set apart for the gospel of God concerning his son. They cannot be separated. They cannot be disentangled from what Paul was called to do. And in verse 5, we're told what that is. It was by grace and an apostolic calling to call people to the obedience that comes from faith. To call people. So in these few verses, we can see that Paul makes it clear to his unknown Roman readers. He'd he'd never been there. He hadn't planted that church. He makes it clear who, what, and why he is. He does so as clearly as a medic might say, I do my job to save lives. An infantryman might say, perhaps the opposite, I do my job to close with and kill the enemy. And this is for Andrew. Andrew Flintoff might say, I exist to bowl as many people out and to score as many runs as possible. Ronaldo might say, I exist to score goals. So I suggest that for us, it is that we exist to proclaim the good news of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. As we say in the creed, we are called to be an apostolic church. That means a church that is called and set apart apart to propagate this good news. Not to sit on it, not like some kind of club that we all come to because we enjoy the camaraderie, although we do. 
but it's set apart to spread the good news. And the fact is, you and I are that church. All we do here at St. Andrew's must have at its core, as its lifeblood, the gospel. As we are called to be Christ's hands and feet through our precious mission partners here in North Oxford and around the world, we are to preach the gospel for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone. I was encouraged to hear the Pope say recently that the church exists for mission. That is to see as many people as possible saved through the free gift of faith in Jesus Christ. And it is such a wonderful gift because when we are unlovable, Jesus loves us. When we are unforgivable, Jesus forgives us. When we are unacceptable, Jesus accepts us. When we are trapped, Jesus sets us free. Nobody else can do that except for Jesus Christ. And there is a sea of humanity out there, as you know as well as I do, who are desperate to be set free from the dark dungeons of their lives. I can't keep quiet about this good news, and I don't think any of us should be able to keep quiet. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that every single person here needs to pick up a soapbox and get down to Corn Market next Saturday and start preaching the gospel. No, that is not what it's about. What I am encouraging everybody here to do is to make sure that as you go about your daily lives, and all our lives are all part of our daily worship to God, you make sure that in some way, big or tiny, in some way, loudly or quietly, you share this good news. It could be 20 minutes by the water fountain explaining the good news of Jesus Christ, or it could be just resting your hand on somebody's shoulder and saying, I'm so sorry to hear your news. I'll pray for you. That is what we are about here. That is why we support and have a deep concern for those we send into the mission field. This is why many people here give sacrificially of their time and or their money in order to bring the light of the gospel to the darkest places around us. This is why we want to see streams of men and women going out into the world to serve the world in the name of Jesus this is why Katie, sitting here, is one of our most prolific inviters of Alpha guests. She cares deeply about the gospel message. This is why we are preparing to build an extension alongside of church. The plan is to create 
a bigger space, more opportunities, more space to make it more accessible to spread the gospel. Not just by hitting people over the head with the Bible. We don't do that here. But by serving and loving and explaining the gospel. And that's why I love St. Andrew's so much. And so the challenge for us all as we read these magnificent opening verses has got to be to ask ourselves whether we're doing our bit or not. We're all servants of Christ. We all have a calling on our lives. We're all set apart, whether we know it or not. We are. We're all part of that great commission to take the good news of Jesus Christ into the world from the Banbury Road to the end of the road. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to show us new ways of fulfilling this calling as we go about our lives sharing this amazing good news. I'm going to close by praying today's collect, which I think sums all this up better than I could have done. God, who in generous mercy sent the Holy Spirit upon your church in the burning fire of your love, grant that your people may be fervent in the fellowship of the gospel that always abiding in you, they may be found steadfast in faith and active in service. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.